will in a minute. We're going to carry on our series on God's, uh, the kingdom is God's arrow in his quiver, God's quiver. The kingdom of God is, uh, sorry, the kingdom is God's arrow in God's quiver. That's the scripture from Isaiah 49, verse 1 to 2. And he said, you, you have made me like a polished arrow. You concealed me in the quiver. He talks about that in Isaiah. We've, we've used that many, many times. That's not my, that's not, I don't want to go into that scripture now because we've spoken about that many, many times and we'll speak about that in the days ahead. There's something about being God's arrow, being on God's bow, being fired towards a specific direction. I want you to know that this church is very much God's arrow. You are the tip of what God is saying and what God is doing. Yes, you. You think, and sometimes we think, because we're a small church, size has nothing to do with it. It's the power of the message we carry and the frequency of what's on our tip. Amen? The tip, and what God is saying, God is putting things in our hearts, and that if we continue to speak, God spoke to me about the, the, uh, authentic, in the authentic sonship. He says to me, Tony, give me a strong season of declaration, and I'll do something unusual. But then the question is, you know, because the cheeky boy always says, well, how long's the season? He said, I didn't, ask, didn't tell you that. Just give me a strong season of declaration and I'll do great things. So every time I, I find myself getting a little bit brassed off, I say to him, is that season over? Just give me a strong season, Tony, of declaration and I'll do great and mighty things through you. So I don't know how long a season is. You know, it seems like winter's been forever. It seems like the rainy season has been forever, doesn't it? It seems like it started last October and it's carried on all the way through into March or the last part of, the last, last part of February. We've had more water than, than anything else. But it's a season. Who knows how long a season lasts? We don't know because this is not, it's not defined by days. It's a spiritual season. So all I can be is obedient. All you can do is be attentive and then become obedient to what God is saying. But, you know, God has to take us places in order to show us things, to stretch our horizons, to help us see beyond. Because sometimes in the local base, we, we, sometimes we don't see what God's really trying to say and do and wants to do in the local base. Because we're so, you know, we're, we're so insular. Yeah? And 16 years ago, many of you know, God took me to Malaysia. And that was an incredible time for me to leave this church at that time and go to Malaysia for two weeks to a country at that time when I didn't really travel. And it was Asia, and it still is Asia, but it was, for me, this was, the, this was the trip way beyond. And I didn't know what I was going into, and Andy and Phil came with me, and uh, my little friends, and, you know, I took them with me. And three men on a journey, didn't know what we were going into, but little do we know that when God got hold of us and started to speak to us, God lifted the, uh, the blindfolds off our eyes and began to show us nations. God began to show us the things he was about to do, the things he wanted to do. And it struck me that every one of us this morning in here were all wearing garments. And all those garments just didn't materialize out of fresh air. They came by patterns. Someone designed them, someone then made it into a pattern, and then they manufactured them, and then you went into the shop and you bought them, and now you wear them. And when God took us to Malaysia, he took us to his garment shop. He took us to the place where he has patterns. He was showing us patterns so that all the nations of the world could come into his retail outlet, which is Malaysia, 
Nations can go there and find the patterns of how to build church and how to disciple nations. Yeah? So God has put garments in there for us to wear, but they're all garments that have been designed and cut towards a specific pattern. Now, you know the Asians have their own clothes, just like us Westerners have, have their own clothes. But in the kingdom, there's only one pattern. Yeah? There is no fashion in the kingdom in that sense. There is one garment. Or there are garments for us and which are designed by heaven itself and they are specific, unique patterns that will work anywhere, anytime, place. How many of you know that? So, and I, I began to ask the Lord, Lord, give me a mind, give me the heart of a builder. And that was my prayer for a long time. And I remember being in Holy Trinity one night and Jonathan David was in England and I'd been praying, Lord, give me a heart of a builder. And Jonathan David began to prophesy over me, and he began to prophesy my prayer. And that's always encouraging that when you hear someone else pro- prophesy the very prayer that you've been asking God, and like I said, God sets it up. He lets you think that you're, you're asking him to give you something, when all the time he put it in your heart. That's the cleverness of God. I want to use the word crafty, but it's not crafty, it's clever. Yeah? Crafty sounds a bit sinister, doesn't it? deceptive it's not crafty it's it's planned and that's how we begin to twin and plan uh, work with the plans of God so very things sometimes the very things you're praying for you're trying to convince God it's actually God's will yeah and when you realize that you realize that actually we're onto something yeah so these patterns that God began to show us and they begin to give me a heart of a builder then I found the heart of a builder is not enough I'm not, it's not wrong. I found then what I needed and still need, and this is the second part of the prayer, I, Lord, give me the mind of a strategist. So to build, you need strategies. There's no point in building if you've got no strategies. Amen? So this is the pursuit I'm on. Give me the strategies for building and rebuilding our city, the church. Why? Because you've given me some patterns, but I need some strategies And those strategies, when I can get those strategies clear in my mind, we can then make them known. And then we become a a company of people who are are strategists and builders. So then you take this message and God shows you in your own own unique way how you can take this message and apply it into your context. Amen? But it starts with the word for the house. And each one takes their portion and then finds how it can be applied to their context. Because this word has context. Amen? And then God began to take me to... I remember before I was in the ministry, God, this is how God plans things for us. And this is what you'll find God's doing with you. And I remember stood on the top of a printing machine and our printing machines are quite high. And I'm putting ink in, in this machine, and the machine's going like billy But the side of me was a machine that was in repair. And when a printing machine's in repair, they stripped the whole thing down. And it's millions of screws everywhere and pieces. You think, they're never going to get this thing back together. But I remember being on this machine, and the Lord said to me very clearly, you'll do this for me one day. You will learn how to, to strip people down and rebuild them. See, that's the mind of a builder and a strategist right there. But I didn't have the language for it. But God spoke to me, and I knew it was God speaking to me. But it was in isolation. 
But it was in the context of the printing machine in me, but it was in isolation. Later on, God begins to uh, bring me into the ministry, and then little do I know, I now have to start stripping people's lives down and then rebuilding them with a word. So then God says, let's take this a little bit deeper, Tony, because you're still not getting the big picture here. So then God takes me to Australia, and what I, what I didn't know, I didn't go to Australia to get the seed. The seed was already inside me. Yes? But what God showed me was, when I was in Australia, is what these guys are doing, I put in you a long time ago. When I spoke to you on the top of that printing machine, this is the strategy. This is the strategy of how to become a builder of people's lives. So God had to take me to various locations, right? Now, Australia was a lot more pleasant than Malaysia was in those days. In 2000, it was like being in Tenko, which is like a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And then Australia, it was like being in the Hilton. And God began to show me that, Tony, through discipleship, I'm going to give you strategies of how to rebuild people's lives, how to strip them down and rebuild them. So that's taken how many years of my life? Quite a lot. Why? Because you have to come to faith. You have to see the hand of the Lord work within you. Now, I tell you all that is because you cannot be concealed forever. What God has concealed, God also has to reveal in somebody's generation, in somebody's time. Yes? See, the arrow in Isaiah 49 was a polished arrow. So it was all revved up, but had no place to go. It was polished. It looked good. It came to church in a nice suit. It came to church in a nice dress. It had nice makeup on, nice jewelry, but it had nowhere to go other than church. And then when you come home from church, you put your slippers on and you put your jammers on and you go back to being you. But in church, you look like you're going somewhere. But when you go home, you go back, this is me, this is me, cabbage, potato, and all. And you go back and you've got your jammers on, you've got your onesie on, and all that kind of paraphernalia that you wear behind closed doors. Because why? In closed doors, you're going nowhere. But that arrow is not effective as long as it's concealed. There has to come a point in our life when what is concealed has to be revealed. So your journey in your life, the the, the difficulties, the circumstances, the setbacks, the heartaches, the joys, they're all all make-up life, don't they? There is a time when God has concealed us as a house. There's times when God has concealed you as an individual. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you now prophetically, that that day is now finished. There comes a time when the arrow must be polished. The arrow must be ready to be revealed. It's no use carrying concealed weapons. At some point, they have to be deployed. Yes? They have to be deployed. There's no fun in just having money you can never spend. True? True? Can you imagine if I took you, some of you ladies, retail shopping, ther- do some retail therapy shopping, and I say, it's £100 here, let's go shopping. But you can't spend it. 
You say to me, what's the point of being here? Exactly. Exactly. Most blokes do that. They put their hand on their pocket and say, I'm taking you, darling. I'm just letting you feel what, it like, what it's like to go shopping. She said, can, we feel, can I feel what it likes to spend? So Zechariah 4 says this. Uh, 10 says, who despises the day of small things? Who despises the day of small things? Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the land as a rubber bull. It's okay, sweet. I'll keep speaking. It keeps ringing. <laughs> Do not despise. Tell them I'm busy. The day of small things. There's a day when it seems irrelevant. There's a day when it seems like it will never happen. There's a day when you think, Lord, I've done all this for no reason. I've slogged, I've worked, I've labored, I've kept in the faith for nothing. And God says, don't despise it. How long's a day? Well, if, the day, if you're not meant to despise a day of small things, then obviously it's a longer than 24 hours. This day can go on a long time for you to despise it. Yeah? Is that fair to think? So just like we don't know how long a season is, we don't know how long a day is. But what we are told is, don't despise the day of small beginnings. So if you look at what God's put in our hearts and you look at where we are, you think, Lord, the two don't seem to be able to match up. It doesn't seem to match up. Right? But what do we do? Do we get disgruntled? Or do we keep on going? Well, I think you know the answer to that. We must keep on going. Because if we, we must have an attitude of no retreat, no surrender. And Luke chapter 3 verse 1 says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius. I don't know if I've got this on slide actually. No, I haven't. So I'll go back. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius. Luke chapter 3 verse 1. In the year... In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrach of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrach, Eturia and Traconitis, and Lysanias Tetrach of Albaline. These are big words. I'm doing well. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah. Now God gives us all that detail for a reason. There's a band of people here all in one place. And it's not an easy list to read. But these are serious people. These are key players. These are movers and shakers. For who, who's here? Well, we have the governor, Pontius Pilate. So the governor's on the scene, and he's a political legislator of his own town and region. So we have the governor, which is Pontius Pilate. Then we have the emperor which is king ruler Tiberius Caesar. So we have the political legislator, we have the king, then we have the high priest, which is Annas and Caiaphas. Yes? But then we have the fourth guy, who's the servant, John. Yeah? A righteous man who's born for destiny. Now, who do you think is the most important person in that crowd of people? You've got a king. You've got a governor, you've got a high priest, and you've got John. Who do you think is the most strategic man in that place? It's John. Why? Because it's God's arrow. God's arrow is on the scene, 
And now, but this is an arrow that's been revealed. It's not concealed. There was a time when John was concealed. But at this point, John is now being revealed and is in the midst of the political domain. He's in the midst of the religious domain. He's in the midst of the, the, uh, the king's domain. He's, he's right in the center of where all the action's going on. And there's little old John. Right in the midst. When God fires his arrow, he knows exactly how to get us right in the midst. How many of you know that? So when John was in, eating wild honey and locust and had his camel belt on and he's looking the right scruffer, it looked like a rum day. It looked like a strange day. It looked like this was a strange day. But this was always leading to a moment. People went out in the desert to see this man, to hear this man. He didn't look like the ideal package. He didn't wear a suit. He didn't have cologne on. He didn't have gold on. He didn't look the package like we would do today. And because of that, people came looking for him, expecting to see Elijah, the prophet. But they saw John instead. And so John was God's arrow, fired, an unusual looking dude. You're an unusual looking person. But you're God's arrow. God fires you. Now you might not be sang before. You might not be sat before a governor. You might not be sat before a king. You may not even be sat before the high priest. But you are amongst people, and God wants His arrow strategically in the midst of people. Some of us will sit before governors. Some of us will. Some of us will go all the way. But it doesn't matter. The issue is, is not whether you can sit before a governor. The issue is, could, can God reveal you where he needs to reveal you? Yes? These, John was God's polished arrow. But he didn't look polished. But he was polished. You know, that, that garment he wore was a patterned garment. He was told that he would wear that garment. He would go like that. Why? Because that's exactly how Elijah dressed. So what the garment that God created for Elijah was the same pattern that John had to wear. There's a pattern, my friend, you have to follow. There's a pattern you have to follow. When God stretches forth his scepter, in other words, when God stands up from his throne and puts his hand out, his scepter towards you, he gives us rule, government, authority, power, miracles, influence, favor. He gives us a lot. When God puts his hand towards a person, towards a place, things begin to move. God begins to move. The man begins to move. Amen? So God begins to speak to you in the early days of your life. You go to school, they ask you, what do you want to be, Johnny, when you grow up? And it starts the imagination going. And Johnny always wants to be either a fireman, a policeman, or a doctor. Have you noticed that? They're the three things. And then he asked little Susie, what does she want to be? She either wants to be a nurse, or she wants to be, I don't know, what else do you girls want to be when, you, when you're young? Ballerina, yeah? And uh, nobody, you know, the, the, the thought, the train of imagination starts to leave the station, yeah? And it begins to pick up momentum as you go through life. But little do we know, God's, Planting the seeds early, according to your temperament, according to your character. God knows exactly what is inside of you before you know 
what's inside of you. Yeah? And God put you in, in his quiver, right? He's put you in his quiver well before you even knew God exists. There was a quiver and you're his arrow. And God's carrying you when you have no idea what it means to be carried. Yes? And he's using every circumstance of life to polish you. He's using every circumstance. Even when, you, even when you're at your worst moment, God is just chipping away. And then he starts to put desires inside your heart and he puts skills inside you and you, have a, you begin to have a leaning towards a specific career, job. And then you go and have a certain leaning towards or a certain ability to be able to learn certain pieces of skills, information, whatever it is, so that you feel equipped to go and do the job that you feel you've chose. Hello? All that was process. But all that was still got you being in God's quiver concealed. But you thought you studied. You thought it was you what chose to go to university. You thought it was you what chose this particular career. You thought that when you deflunked from university and you thought, well, I haven't got that grade. I can't hit that, so I can't go to be a teacher. I'll choose the next one on the run of the ladder. It was always in the will and in the plans of God. God always knew what you were going to do. Why? Because God has a, a lovely way of engineering how you're going to get to where you're going to go. He knows the path. But as soon as you look back, you start seeing the dot to dot of life. And you begin to see how God's led you when you didn't understand why you went there, why that happened to you, why you cried there, why he kicked your face in there, why you should have slapped him over there, but you didn't. As soon as you look back and you see the dot to dot of life, you begin to see the picture of how God's led you and more so the people is continually used. Certain people keep popping up in your life. And they were strategic for your life for a season. And then they disappear and then they come back again. Or they don't come back. And God's got it all planned out. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. When you feel you're going nowhere, nowhere can still be somewhere. So God puts skills, leaning, expertise, and he opens doors, and you think this is all by your hand. God gives you the luxury of thinking you're in control. It's true. He gives you the luxury to think that you actually are in control. And then one day he humbles you in one second. In one act, one word, he has a way of humbling you thinking, you know what, it's not all about me, is it? No, I wasn't the one who did this, was I? No. 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 No, Lord, I couldn't do that. No, and now I begin to humble myself and realize that there was this power that was always leading me, watching over me, guiding me, guarding me, governing me, Allowing certain things to happen, putting boundaries before me. Why? Because God is God and I'm man. And when I get that picture and that revelation, I realize that that's the beginning of wisdom. Because then I begin to fear the almighty God. And that's the beginning of wisdom. To fear God is the beginning of wisdom. Then I humble myself and say, okay, God, if it means I have to stay in the quiver a little bit longer, I'll stay there. And normally, just the amount of time you begin to realize that you've been a dipstick, that's normally the time when you're ready to be revealed because now you've learned something. Amen? 
Now I've learned something. Now you see, Daniel was a man who'd observed, learned to observe his time and his season. So must you. You cannot keep walking around like you don't know what day it is. Spiritually. I know what day, you know what day it is physically. You know when Monday is and you know when Friday. You know, you never forget. I don't know anybody who ever forgot to go to work. Do you? I don't know anybody who just said that. You know, I laid in bed this morning and thought, oh my Lord, I didn't go to work yesterday. It just doesn't happen, does it? Why? Because you're aware of what day it is. But I never know, I've not heard of anybody, you may have, I don't know, who got up on a Saturday morning and went to work when they shouldn't have been in work. Now, I know shift patterns can get a little bit blurry at times. I know Carol's turned up and they said, what are you doing here? She said, well, I'm your rotor. It's oh, dear me, I got the wrong day. And then she got me out of bed to take her. So how you know, there was words. How many of you know the arrow was sharpened right there? Yeah? And she was fired. So in Daniel chapter uh, 9, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books of the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So he began to read about the desolation that was taking place in Jerusalem over a 70-year period. So I gave my attention. Can you see that? I gave my attention to the Lord, God, to seek him by prayer and supplication. And then he says in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant loving kindness for those who love him, da-da-da, da-da-da. Then he goes, verse 6, Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who have spoken your name, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. So now he begins to have an acute awareness that, it, one, he'd been ignorant. His nation had been ignorant. Yes? Two, he's now become aware that other people, other prophets had spoken about the nation's destiny. So now he taps into what had been said. Yes? Three, he paid attention. He begins to study. So, the, so with his natural skill, he begins to study. But God reveals to him what had been concealed for many years. Hello? What had been concealed, been spoken by the prophets, and it was just hanging there in the, in, in the air. Yes? And generations have come and generations have gone, but that word was still in the air until one day God begins to reveal... Daniel, it's now the time and the season for me to move with this people. And I'm going to use you as the arrow. Now, what we don't know, has what, uh, what we don't know in, in our nation or in our region, what men, what women have prophesied and spoke things over the atmosphere. Hello? What preachers, how many of our own forefathers out of this church declared things... And they're still just lying in the spiritual realm, waiting for a generation or an individual, which is you, to grab hold of that word and begin to earth it and manifest it in the workplace. Yes? 
How many of you, we don't know what's been said, but what we can do is we can keep walking with God and let God revealed, reveal to us what's been concealed. Come on. There are things that our own mothers, you know, if you go back in your own timeline, your own generation, your family tree, you'll be amazed what you find. You'll be amazed what great, 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 and how many more greats, grandmother, who was a Christian, who prayed. How many great, 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 great grandfathers you had, but prayed and God remembered what they prayed. And they prayed for their family. When they didn't have teaching on generations, spiritual generations, having legacy. But they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and they stood in faith. And they believed what God was speaking to them. And they spoke it out in the atmosphere. And it just stayed there waiting for time and for season to come to pass. Then all of a sudden, one day you're praying and you begin to catch by the same spirit that they prayed and spoke, your ears become inclined and begin to receive strongly in your heart what they prayed. Hello. How many of you know that's called passing the baton? That's called passing the baton. I'd like to find who my great, 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 great grandma was who prayed for me. Because I sure caused my mother a lot of pain. I'd like to know who in my family tree prayed for our family. Because I've got to believe someone was there somewhere. In the days of no TV. Yes? I'd like to think someone prayed for our family. And, you know, I wasn't the first in our family. As far as we know, Shirley was the first. Well, I'm not sure she's saved, so I will say I'm first. Now, Shirley's saved. So Shirley was the first. Shirley opens the door for me. But who prayed for her? Who determined, or God determined, Shirley would be the first. But maybe Shirley wasn't the first. Shirley was just the first in our generation. Yeah? Because I'm not sure everyone, you know, when I look at my grandma, she had a religious conscience. And only God knows what that means. But... Was there a woman, a man, a family who prayed down the Higginson lineage for a mouth on roller skates to emerge? A girl who's, who's, who's gifted and skilled with working with young people, young children. That's part of the builder, the, you know, building lives, stripping them down, rebuilding them. And then she brings them, then when they come to the next part of the assembly point, they go to the youth. So all our families involved in this. So whoever prayed knew what they were praying. Yeah? So in every part of this, this church, we've got family over there with the, other, with the other team. I'm just using my family as an illustration. She's no more important than anybody else working there. We see we've got the factory going there. We've got the factory going next door with the youth. And then they bring them to the assembly point, the fin, you know, the finishing point here. So at some point, there's builders in our family. There's a whole builder building uh, DNA in our family. My father was a shop steward, so he was always trying to dismantle things. I recognize that. But my mother was completely the opposite. My mother was a community spokeswoman who always wanted to rebuild. So at some point in our family, you can just see God knew what he was doing. Go back in your own family. See the weirdos in there. 
and check just how God's using everything. But what you thought was concealed is actually being revealed. It's wonderful. I said it's wonderful to see that we're not here by chance. So Daniel begins to see this. Daniel begins to have a revelation of what had been concealed was now about to be revealed. Can you see this? No. Let me take a drink, have a think. I'll get back to you in a second. We're not here by chance. This house is not here by chance. You're not here by a mistake. You're here by divine appointment. I believe that, but you've got to see that. That has to be revealed to you. It has to be revealed to you, sovereignly, divinely. There's many churches you can go to. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you at a church where you can be built? That's the issue. Are you in, an, are you in a church where you can be exposed in a safe way so that God can begin to rebuild you in a safe way, but also in a powerful way? Because many of us have been exposed and we were abused, both psychologically, maybe physically, spiritually. But in a house where there is good leaders, safe leaders, you can be stripped down and rebuilt without anybody else seeing it or knowing the details of your own life. That's the beauty of when God does something, God knows how to do it. See, those engineers that used to work in our factory, they were precision, precision engineers they knew how to handle every part they knew where every part went they knew that when it when it go, went back into a printing machine everything would come under an immense strain and stress so no part could be loose every part had to be fitted perfectly just according to the pattern and that's the way it is in God's house so that every part when it comes under stress does not buckle if it's been built properly, it won't buckle. How many of you know? It's true. So Daniel knew he was a strategic arrow. How many of you know every word requires strategic action? Every word that you receive requires strategic action. He said, Daniel, uh, God spoke to Daniel. He saw the, the prophets. He saw the prophet's words. And he, he read in Isaiah 45, verse 13. You don't have to go to it. I'll read it out to you. He said, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. And I will make all his ways straight. He will build my, rebuild my city and set my exiles free. But not for a price or reward. So that which was prophesied and had been in the air for 70 years, Daniel picks up and then it manifests in five in 538 BC that's exactly what happened God raises up a king called Cyrus and Cyrus begins to have favor towards the exiles the Jews and he begins to call them back and he says I'll rebuild the nation and, he, and I won't do it for any, any money I'll just do it why because God had raised a man up but if Daniel hadn't stepped in and seen that and began to pray and intercede for that Cyrus had to wait for Daniel's words Cyrus could not be revealed until Daniel's words were revealed. Daniel, the prophecy could not be revealed, uh, could come to pass until it was revealed to Daniel. Cyrus couldn't come forth until it was revealed. I couldn't come forth until Shirley got received. 
See that? I couldn't come to faith until my sister came to faith because my sister's faith led me into faith. Yes? And then my own brother-in-law, my sister didn't actually lead me into faith. She exposed me to faith. It was my, my other brother-in-law, David, who led me into faith. But Andy and Shirley exposed me to faith. But it was the journey. So God's used my family to bring me into the family of faith. But my, I had a family of faith that brought me into the family of faith. Can you see that? This is strategic how God works. Every aspect was, was, was concealed. And then at certain stages, it's revealed. Now, because I'm now revealed and because Andy's revealed, his own kids come in. But how many of you know you can bring your kids to church and still your church never being your kids? So Andy and Shirley carry the same, same thing that they, they exposed me to, but gradually it actually came into their own children. Now their children carry the same thing they do. Now it's their job now to put it into Harry, Paul, into Jake. Now it's my job to try and get it into my kids. And why? Because right now, something that's revealed to me is still concealed to my young'uns. Can you see that? But as long as I keep on speaking and let God fire this arrow, what's, what's been revealed to me, at some point I'm believing it'll be revealed to them. Stay on track. Stay on track. You say, well, I tried to reveal it to my kids and they didn't like it. Stay on track. Stay on track. Because you know what? Even when Shirley and Andy exposed me to faith and David led me to faith, I wondered. I wondered. Why? Because I wasn't discipled. I wasn't sharpened. And then God brought me back and started that work on my life. They exposed me to faith, but there had to come a point when I had to let God work in my life. Does that make sense? Hope this is helping you. This is how God works. No retreat, no surrender. We have to stay on point. Why? Because there's a lot more ready to come through us. How many of you know that? How many of you know that Satan every day has a sniff of what's in the air? He doesn't know what's in the air, but he has a sniff. When you're carrying destiny and you're carrying something inside your heart, the enemy's job is to kill, steal, and destroy. The Bible tells that, John 10, 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Every day he gets out of bed. It's not in bed, but that's a... The thief gets out of bed to kill, steal, and destroy. What's on the menu today, Satan? Kill, steal, and destroy. Who? Everyone. Everyone and anyone who will listen to me. Jesus, what's on your agenda today? Well, to advance the kingdom, but to give the people in the kingdom abundant life and life more abundant. So that's Jesus' mandate every day. He gets up there and he says, right now it's your job to go and give people this life, to tell people this life. But en route, you'll, you'll meet the other fella who'll he'll come and try and kill, steal and destroy what I put inside your heart. How many of you know that? So how many times have you listened to the other fella? Too many times. And then we come back and we say, oh, Lord, forgive me. I was a scuffer. Yes, I know. Prune me, oh, Lord. Oh, with pleasure. <laughs> Stand back. They're coming. Circumcision. Then he says, then there's one big, ah, and then there's a release of the abundant life. 
The abundant life comes into our life and then we begin to feel like, ah, I feel clean, I feel forgiven, I don't feel under condemnation, I feel that a new lease of life. And God says, right, now maintain it. Keep hold of it. Don't lose your position. Right, Lord. Lord, I want to be able to do this for you, Lord. I want to do that for you, Lord. Well, yes, okay, but there's going to be a period of concealing. There's going to be a period where you're going to have to let other people work on your life to strip you down and rebuild you. Why? Because until you won't, if you keep denying that process, you'll always remain in the quiver. Hello? Everybody hear the sound of my voice this morning? Until you allow someone else's hands on your life, you will always remain in the quiver, irrespective of how talented, how powerful you may be. God will never expose you to the point of where he could expose you if you will not let somebody else put their uh, hands on your life. That's how God prunes. This, This takes issues of trust. It reveals issues of trust and abuse that we've had from previous people. Nevertheless, they still have to be faced and overcome. You cannot keep saying, Lord, well, the last, last crew down there, they hurt me. God says, I know they did. I know they did. But I'm trying to lead you to a crew that won't. Well, they all say that. Yes, they all say that, but that's not all the truth. It's like, that's like the man who's been, who's been scolded by his, oh, sorry, his wife was cheating on him, and now he says all women are the same. No, women are not all the same at all. Why? Because mine's not like that. And yours might not be like that. So all women can't be the same. The one you chose was. The one you chose was like that, but not all women are like that. That's not my experience. I've had one for 32 years. It's as good as now as the day I found her. True. It's possible. Not, Not everybody's story is the same. But we've had to learn to trust. We've had to learn to let go, give in, and make a journey. And now we've got that trust. Now we've got that relationship, and, and we keep on that. Now we can bring that into our kids and see our kids' courtships, you know, develop that level of trust. Because your kids never think you've been there, do they? That's the trouble. They think the kids are kids. They're always pioneers. They're always pioneers. They never feel like you've ever done anything, been anywhere, achieved anything. They think it's all for them to discover. Yeah, until they need money. And then they think that you found a way of making money that they never did. It's the only time they concede, you know something. But we're smarter than the average bear. We allow, we allow them the luxury of thinking they're smarter than us. Until there comes the point when they need to be humbled. And we stand there and say, Told you so. Son, listen to your father's teaching. Though it costs you everything, says Proverbs, find wisdom. Get understanding. But the kids have no problem with that. They just don't want to come through you for it. That's the problem, but they do. They have to come through you. Why? Because kids have to learn the hardest thing is to let mom and dad shape them. But this is the problem. Most parents don't know how to shape. They just know how to shave But we need to shape our kids so they can become the same polished arrow that I am. We've got to show our kids that the kids have to be in our quiver. We have to carry our kids as much as God Almighty carries our kids. We have to carry our kids. And there comes a point when so our kids are trained enough so they can be released and exposed. But the kids want to jump out the quiver. 
The kids always think they're ready to be exposed and be revealed, don't they? They think they're sharp. Yeah, but they're not being fashioned. But you're no different with your heavenly father. You want to be exposed to the things you want to do. Lord, let me do that. Let me do this. Let me do that. God says, no, you're not ready. Oh, you're tight, Lord. I've often said to God, you're tight. Don't think it goes down well. <laughs> and he just stands back and goes, Tony, you know, we've had this conversation before. Me, God, you not. Shut up. But God, you're dead tight. No, son, I'm fair. When you learn to trust me, son, you'll realize that tight was never part of my character. I was always fair. I always led you where you needed to go. So I'm believing that God... This is the year, and, these, and the years subsequent from this, this is the year where God's saying, look, church, this is the time to let people work on you. This is the time to let the Holy Spirit work on us, let God work on us, and God does that through vessels, right? Because God is about to take the lid off our church. And, God's gonna, and when God takes the lid off our church, he exposes certain things in us that we never thought was there. And there's a lot of things I wanted to say this morning, but I just haven't got time to get there and can't, can't get there because of time. But I will speak to, the, to you about them. There are certain things that when God takes the cloak off the church, he's going to reveal certain things to us. And I'm going to show you the people he's going to use to reveal those things. There's a whole bunch of people ready to come to this church that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. That's going to make you very, very uncomfortable. And it's going to make you think whether I should be here. And that's okay. That's okay. Shaking's always good because the shake can wake. Yeah? So God only has to let a certain few characters come through that door and you feel uncomfortable and you think it's not a church anymore. I can't do this anymore. Guess what? That's, it's not your church. It's not my church. It's not our church. Listen, you was one of those characters that we feared once. True. That's <laughs> And some still are, says Phil. That wasn't me. The heart of the shepherd wouldn't say that. <laughs> True. You were somebody else's nightmare. Oh, you could have been somebody else's nightmare. I know, I was, I was everybody's nightmare when I walked through the door. Who is this lad? <laughs> this was no king of glory who walked through that door the day I walked through the door. But get ready. Get ready because you're going to be exposed. And when you're going to complain, and I'm going to turn around and say, remember this day. Remember this day. You've been concealed, and now you've just been revealed. In one moment, in one act, in one incident, God will reveal what's been concealed. And it might not feel good, and it might not lie. And you, you know what you'll turn around and say? Well, that's my opinion anyway. Well, you're entitled to your opinion. Guess what? Take your opinion where the sun don't shine. Why? Because God's opinion is the only thing that counts. It's the only thing that counts. <laughs> we have no idea. The carpenters sang the song, didn't they? We've only just begun. Let's stand to our feet. Never even got to me. <laughs> Your PowerPoint. Well, you got power and you got the point, didn't you? Right then. I want you to get ready in your heart. Make plans right now for God to take the cover off. It's time to come out the quiver. I said it's time to come out the quiver.
And it's only, it's only time to come out the quiver when God's about to use and deploy the arrow. And I really believe it's time to start for God to start deploying the arrows in this house. There was a, there was a prophetic declaration maybe two years ago, maybe three, I'm not quite sure. And the word was, archers, get ready. Well, guess what? You can't keep, keep getting ready. There comes a point when the word comes, Archer, archers, I need to deploy you. Deploy your arrows. It's not enough just to keep saying, I'm ready, I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready. At some point, the, the factory has to release finished products. Hello? There has to be finished products. We can't always, a company that's always making something that never finishes is a company that's never going to stay in business. Amen? So there comes a point where God's saying, look, I've got to roll some things off the production line here. But they go through processes. But there will come a time. I will have my arrows. I will deploy my arrows. And I'm going to use them in strategic places. And God's going to bring strategic people across our path. Some of them will be characters. But nevertheless, they will be, they will be instruments of leading us to where we go. God will bring the exiles, the captives to us, right? But listen, he's not going to bring them in church. He's sending you to them. Ah, ah that's the point. Then, isn't it, Pastor? I'm not in for that. I only come here on a Sunday. Ah, I didn't realize that. No, 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 no. God's sending you to them. God's sending you to the exiles. They're not coming into church, but well, they will come into church, but they're going to come because God's going to release you, the arrow, to them. So you better find yourself making room in your heart for some strange characters. Yeah? Look at the person at the side. Say, you're not strange enough. And are you stra- you're not strange enough. Come on, look at the person that says, so you're not strange enough. I've met weirder characters than you. Okay, let's put our hands up. Let's close us in prayer. Father, for what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. Can you pray that prayer for what I'm about to receive? Do you remember saying this as a kid? Well, we're still kids now. Let's say it again. Lord, for what I'm about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. Amen. Amen. Let's give a standing ovation.